thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock is on the mend and assures me he'll be back on deck next week, and that is great news. Well, what did you think of the Super Night 300 at Sydney's Motorsport Park? Well, with crowd figures up and also great TV ratings, it looks as though it was a complete success. This week on the show, we speak to two of the sport's leading journos in Stefan Bartholomeus and Andrew Van Leeuwen. We also have a chance to hear from all the team owners about what they think of the television deal and what they are hoping out of the new television deal that's being negotiated as we speak. But first, here's what the victors had to say about the racing on Saturday night. Interestingly, Shane Van Gisbergen was quite outspoken about the lighting of the circuit. Um, But there's a lot to improve on. The lighting, probably simply not good enough, but it was adequate enough um, but yeah I think hopefully we put on a good show for everyone and the safety car turned turn the race alive. Jamie Winkup spoke about the changes they'd made between Friday night and Saturday. Yeah we were as a category we were pioneering we're just trying to do the, the best we can and I think for the first attempt I think they did, a, did an excellent job of course we can improve on it um, we can change the formats we can absolutely we'll go, the supercar will go away and um, <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of party going on in the background uh, someone's hit the cans early um, but yeah no, I'm sure sure we'll 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 move on it. And you know the the fireworks fantastic. All the all the off track stuff was was great, which is needed. But at the end of the day, that's got to complement the racing. What's what's most important is we 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 have a good race, and today we had an excellent race, and that's true credit to the rules and and uh, everyone that the the, f- the fierce competition between the teams, which is uh, which is the most important thing. Scott McLaughlin was disappointed that he couldn't take the win, but said that the championship battle never came into his mind when he was in the cut and thrust of racing for the win. No, I wanted to win the first night race. That was trying my hardest, but uh, look, obviously I knew that Shane's my, at the moment we're the closest together. Uh, we knew we had a reasonable gap back, and it was Lowndes and fourth who was on the same amount of tyre as me, so... Uh, yeah, I felt like if I could just hold him back and maybe just you know heat his tyres up like he talked about, but there's probably by the end of the race I pr- pretty much realised to myself that I probably had no chance. But um, yeah, look, gave it my shot, gave it my best shot. Chaz Mostert and Mark Winterbottom showed great form on the Friday night practice. They spoke about the lighting of the circuit on Friday night. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I've never felt a supercar be so quick, to be honest. So uh, you don't get a judgment of speed when you're in the patches of dark because you just think, oh, it's that slow. Next, all of a sudden, you just come flying into the light and try and jump on the brake pedal at a, a big stop corner, and it's um, yeah, quite exciting. So... Uh, pretty tricky because you kind of you miss your judgment a little bit where you normally would around here in the daylight but um yeah it's a good challenge and it's good fun out there so uh better thing too is it's a little bit cooler in the cabin than what we're not used to as well so good fun kind of cool to that first lap going to one and kind of not know what was going to happen when you came out the other side like days of thunder cold trickle just hold it flat you know so um yeah it was really cool and the spectacle just you kind of get a little bit distracted because when you see other cars going around and the reflections and stuff you're like 
become half a spectator and then realise you've got to get around the corners. But um, yeah, just a cool spectacle and going by the numbers on a on a Friday night for for practice, um, people loved it. Great feedback from from the supporters and. They love it, we love it. Mark Winterbottom talked about what he saw as the difference between the lighting at Sydney Motorsport Park and the last time they were under lights in Abu Dhabi. Um, Abu Dhabi at night time is brighter than here in 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. You know That, was, that place was, was ridiculously lit up and an overcast day here is way you know, less light than what we experienced over there. So to me that wasn't, although we ran at night time, it didn't feel like a night race. But this, you know, t- tonight was definitely a, what felt like a night time driving. It was a couple of very long days for everyone involved. Scott Pye talked about the track walk early in the morning on Friday. Yeah, I had my niece and nephew come, so I actually spent half the day of the other side playing with them and hanging out, and then a couple of hours before the session went and spent some time with the engineers and got ready. But it is certainly a long day because like track walk was 8 o'clock in the morning and we sort of sat around a lot because there was on-track action and we couldn't walk the track. Um, we actually slept in a mistrack walk, but it just, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't really relevant anyway for us. So that's probably one thing. Track walk would be nice in the dark um, and uh, maybe a little bit more, more activity outside the racetrack. Well, plenty to cover this week on Inside Supercars. So after the break, it's Stefan Bartholomeus and Andrew Van Leeuwen. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Joining us this week, it's been a, a while since we've had two journos on the show, but it's great to have from motorsport.com, Andrew Van Leeuwen. Hi, Craig. How are you going? Good, thanks, mate. And from supercars.com, it's Stefan Bartholomeus. G'day, Craig. G'day, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Interesting. After a, a night of racing, which uh, I heard the crowd at 33,000. I don't know if you heard the Saturday night crowd to be any different to that, but uh, it certainly was buzzing at Sydney Motorsport Park. What, what were your thoughts, Andrew? Uh, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I think the, uh, I think the Saturday night crowd was... Um on its own was north of 20,000 or 22,000 or whatever it was. And um, and it really felt like that. It had that kind of football game feel to it when you were standing out looking at the main grandstand before the race. Um, you could, if you were cynical enough, you could argue that the whole sort of fireworks and driver intros was a bit cheesy. But at the end of the day, the crowd seemed to be absolutely loving it. And that's, that's what this, this whole concept was about. So, so I think it actually worked really well. Um, you know, as an event, it was the best way they could possibly have packaged a Sydney Motorsport Park event because we know it's a difficult one to get bundles on seats for. Everything in Sydney is. Um, so to get a reaction like that um, from the crowd, to see the TV numbers going up as well, um, I think Stefan had a story this morning saying it's like 73% higher for the Friday uh, for the Friday night um, practice session TV coverage. So that, that's huge numbers, and that says that this concept... Um, really worked for supercars and and it really worked 
for anybody on the ground. I think us media included. It was a cool thing to, to be a part of and to see. Mm, Stefan, it, uh, you're the numbers man. So what what about those numbers? Is that what head office wanted? Well, I think they uh, certainly like when the arrow is uh, coloured green and, and pointing north rather than anything else. Um, yeah, like there was, as, as Andrew was saying, there was a healthy increase on uh, on attendance and on TV, um, which certainly ticked those boxes. Very originally when James Warburton, the former CEO of Supercars, had sort of hatched this idea and was pushing this plan for a Sydney night spectacular. It was very much based around TV um, and the fact that it was going to be in winter and it was not maybe super appealing for, for punters to actually go wasn't really the top of the priority list, but Supercars worked hard to make sure that it was it was attractive to be there as well and they were rewarded with a, with a good crowd that was it was 50% increase on from last year on the Saturday. So, and, and like Andrew said, the, the atmosphere there on, on the front straight, I think it helped that most of the fans were there on the front straight with the grandstand and down to turn one. But uh, the amount of punters there that was soaking up um, everything it had to offer was pretty pretty impressive. I was interested, uh, Andrew, with the, the difference in the press conference on Friday and Saturday about the lighting of the track. On Friday, it was all sweetness and light. There was just a couple of things that needed to be tweaked, but it was great out there. You could see everything. And then on, on Sunday, we couldn't see a bloody thing. It wasn't bright enough. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's things like that were always going to evolve. And 300 k's is a pretty long race around there. So guys were going to come out of it pretty bruised and battered and, and, and kind of, I guess, having a different idea of what works and, uh, and what doesn't. Um, but at the end of the day, unless you're going to go and spend millions of dollars on a sophisticated light permanent lighting system, that's about what you're going to get. Um, and I thought it looked good. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it might be a bit difficult for the drivers, but it's meant to be. This is the top of the sport. Like, make it hard. Send the guys out there to go race, and they all got through it. Um, and, um, and, you know, and the other thing is those little lighting bits and pieces, that can all get kind of tweaked for, uh, for next year. So you would, you would imagine that they're the sorts of things that are sort of continually worked on uh, and honed and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, a bit of, um, a bit of, I don't know how to, how to quite phrase it right, but the fact that it's not perfect was kind of part of the whole thing's charm, to be honest. And at the end of the day, it's got to be okay for the drivers, but uh, it's got to be workable for the drivers, but, you know, making them work hard for their money, there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, it was better lit than most of the speedways I've raced on and, uh, and, uh, and better lit than some I've, I've been to, uh, right across the United States, so I didn't I didn't think it was that bad from uh, my viewpoint. And when you look at the in-car cameras, I thought it looked it was pretty well lit. Stephen, yeah, I want to say I think it was fine. Yeah. Stefan, um, just interesting also that Nathan Prendergast said to us on this show that it was never going to be though the intention was never to try and light it like daylight. It was always an intention to to have that feeling that they were racing at night and. I must say, I thought they achieved that. What about you? Yeah, well, I mean, the last time supercars raced under lights was in Abu Dhabi, and the uh, the government over there spent $1.2 billion, I think, building that facility, including the lights, so they probably had a couple more bucks to play with than, uh, than supercars were trying to do there at City Motorsport Park. But like Andrew was saying, it felt from the outside, at least, I mean, we're not drivers, we're not in the cars, but the TV pictures look good, and it had a great atmosphere at the circuit. They... Um, they tried to do the best they could with the lighting, and Craig Baird was very heavily involved in uh, in the final tuning of that there on the Thursday night, and they got Garth Tander to get a current driver's point of view as well. So, um, 
yeah, I think the, the combination of making sure most of the light was coming from from the trackside lighting so that the headlights didn't blind the, the TV cameras was obviously the name of the game because it is spectacular seeing uh, GT cars blaze through the complete darkness at Spa or Nürburgring or even, even Le Mans, but it doesn't really make for great TV. So I think the balance they had from our perspective looked pretty good. Mm. And, Stefan, the other thing is that whilst they weren't able to up their headlight uh, lumens, some of the teams did really look at to try and uh, work additional lighting in to uh, to make their cars, uh, you know, a bit more spectacular, not just playing with the luminescent paints. But uh, I, I think Techno, for me, had a really bright undercar. Uh, Walkinshaws went with something like that too. And then for the in-car cameras, I thought uh, Penske's did the most work on trying to light up in there. Yeah, if anything, it was surprising to me at least that a few teams didn't didn't do more stuff like, you say, Walkinshaws and Techno did with the LEDs under the car. And I think we saw Maxstone Racing just had a bit of LED treatment around the grill. Um, but race teams being race teams, most of them were focused on uh, making sure the performance of the car was uh, where it needed to be rather than adding anything extra just for the sake of bling. There was also the, the big unknown, even with the reflective signage, that because the lighting was reasonably good in most areas you couldn't actually tell on the tv that it was reflective signage mm. so um it'll be interesting to see if and when this happens again whether people do more of that sort of stuff and that's i think i think it's, you could talk about the retro round in the same way you know guys will get better at doing this sort of stuff it's always toe in the water year one and then it gets bigger and better so um it'd be really inter- interesting to see how things would look in 12 months if we did it again yeah, and the other the other thing is uh, I spoke to one of the teams that have been struggling a little bit with performance this year and they were like, hmm, if we do something and, you know, you run a curb or it, it comes loose, how do we fix it? And, uh, you know, they just didn't want to put a lot of time into trying some of those tweaks because they were working on trying to get the base handling of their cars back together. Andrew, where to next? Where would you take this concept to? As I think we all agreed, but maybe I should ask, uh, Andrew, you think it was a success? Well, yeah, I think it was definitely a success. Um, like I say, looked great, felt great, had, it checked every box, and uh, and I think the uh, I think that, that that you know the comments from from Sean Seymour uh, since then that you know they'd be remiss to not look to doing this again and at other venues uh, is 100 percent on the money. It works well enough that it's, a, it's an idea that you have to to, to kind of try and run with. Um, where to next? It, it's the, the, the thing is that it works so well at Sydney, but it is actually not all that easy to pinpoint where you would take it to next. So there's some obvious, you know, obviously the shorter the circuit, the, the cheaper and, uh, and easier it is to light it. So you could look at somewhere like, say, Barbagallo Raceway, and that's all well and good, but a 7.20 kickoff there is 9.20 on the East Coast, so that's not necessarily great for your television audiences. Um, you could look at somewhere like Winton. It'd be pretty cold at night. A lot of people camp there, so I guess you probably it would actually work in with that. But with those independent uh, promoters or circuit promoters, you've probably got a bit of an issue where um, there's going to be some questions asked about who's actually going to pay for the lights because if a WA Sporting Car Club or a, or a Vanilla Auto Club or somebody can't sit down and work out that they're going to make 200 grand extra for sticking up 200 grand worth of lights, they're not necessarily going to be um, going to be jumping at the idea. So they're the little things that, that will need to be considered. It's not as easy as going, that works great, let's do it everywhere. Um, so, But there will be somewhere, I don't know if it's Tasmania, I don't know if it's 
Pukakali, I don't know what it is, but there will be somewhere else it can work. Um, but yeah, it's a, I think it's worked well, and I'm pretty sure that, that every every promoter outside of supercars in the country is sitting there going, "Oh, if we could make that work for us, it's something we should really look at." But it's not as simple as just guys lining up to, to, to stick up generators and light towers and um, and go racing under lights. No, and Stefan, the uh, the two tracks that were being talked about across the weekend was. Barbagello, which uh, Andrew mentioned, and uh, and down at Simmons Plains, uh, Roland said, you know, Queensland Raceway, but you'd obviously then have to change the calendar to suit Queensland Raceway because uh, it gets bloody cold at night in Ipswich. Yeah, which is the same thing that uh, Andrew was talking about somewhere like Winton. Probably Winton and Ipswich, to me, are the logical ones to, to pep those events up a little bit, but... Uh, Certainly wouldn't want to, having been there late into the uh, into the evening slash night on the Saturday uh, for both of those events, doing doing the work that we do. I don't think I'd want to be standing outside watching racing cars when it's uh, when it's uh, single digits on the ten scale. Yeah. Now, so yeah, it, we'll, we'll wait and see what what they do next. But for me, the ultimate thing really would be to see a street race under lights. I think that would uh, that would look absolutely mint and be great for a for a city race. But uh, how the uh, how the cost elements go with that, I'm uh, not quite sure. Mm. One I think th- that's the that, that, that's the other issue with that is that you do run into issues with noise and that sort of stuff that you don't have at say Winton or Queensland Raceway, um, and it comes down to again whether like who's going to spend the money to do. If you get in a decent enough crowd, and you know most of the street tracks do, then I guess you sort of don't need to look at spending any more money to bring someone in or to bring to bring more people in. Um, and you could almost say the same about Winton, because like I say, that's sort of become the, the second camping destination after Bathurst now. So there's actually people there at night. I think that we, I don't, I don't think the cold, it is bloody cold there, but I don't think that's necessarily a huge issue because people are there anyway. They'll just drag their fire pits a bit close to the edge of the track and, <laughs> and, and stand around with their, with their mittens on and their stubby, their stubby holders keeping their beers cold and their hands warm. Um, but it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a case of people are already going there to camp, so are you actually bringing in more people by running under lights, and therefore is it worth spending the money to do it? These are all the questions that promoters would definitely be asking. Because it sounds like uh, you could run it at Winton and just have the uh, have the lighting those uh, campfires. Don't worry about I, putting in actual LEDs and all this fancy stuff. Just uh, a bit of fire going. Just like those, um, just like those things that you use to keep mosquitoes away, those big sort of um, torches. When I was yeah, a, bunnies. when I was a kid, we were uh, at a race. Dad was racing, and uh, the lights went out on the track, and they just said to everyone, "Park your car at the fence like the footy, turn your headlights on," and they ran pretty much the rest of the meeting just off the headlights of the cars lighting the track. Obviously, not. Uh, repeatable on a road racing course but uh, it has been done before also for those who haven't been to Winton of course Stefan there is one vehicle burnt down just about every race meeting every supercar meeting at Winton's uh, camping area isn't it well that, that could be a very interesting addition to the format great <laughs> We'll take a break here on Inside Supercars and be back with Andrew Van Leeuwen and Stefan Bartholomeus right after this. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. 
Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Stefan Bartholomeus from supercars.com and Andrew Van Leeuwen from motorsport.com joining me, Craig Ravel. An interesting question gets raised after we've seen such a big crowd because uh, most of the people were saying we've never seen a crowd that big for a supercar race. Um, Roland said to me in his 15 years in Australia, he's never seen a crowd that big at Eastern at Eastern Creek, we're talk- uh, Sydney Motorsport Park we're talking about here. Um, and I certainly don't remember a crowd that felt that big and that busy, but it still was a very long day. Um, you guys would have got there somewhere between 9 and 10 at the very latest and uh, wouldn't have finished till, what, 11.30 midnight? Oh, that would have been amazing to finish at 11.30. <laughs> I reckon I got there at uh, 9, though. And, uh, Andrew, what time did you get in? Uh, I think I was in about quarter past nine or something like that, Stephen. You might not have seen me for a couple of hours after that, but I was around. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, but it was a very long day. The teams were getting there at uh, eight in the morning, remembering that they had been there pretty much all day. Well, they had been there all day Friday for the one practice session. Most of them got in on Thursday or Friday. And, uh, of course, with ride days and, and promotions, they're not leaving necessarily until... They definitely weren't leaving... Till Sunday, some not leaving till Monday or Tuesday. In as far as cost savings go, which we know that cost savings aren't really a focus of supercars, although they say they are, uh, this one didn't save a lot in the way it was only a two-day event, if you like, Andrew. Uh, yeah, that's probably right. It's, it's actually funny. At about quarter to midnight on uh, on Saturday night, Stephen and I were actually having a bit of a chat with Tim Edwards, and as um. His, uh, his poor wife looked fairly unimpressed that, that they were still at the track and he was down there talking to journalists at that night and he was whisked away pretty quickly once the, uh, once the interview was over because I think she wanted to get out of there and he looked uh, like he was pretty keen to skip as well. So, look, it was a long day. I think that the, those sorts of scheduling tweaks would definitely come into play uh, if it went ahead again, because um, because even you know even on Friday in the press conference, Frosty was saying we did our track walk at eight o'clock this morning, and here we are sitting here at you know quarter to nine at night in the press conference. That's a pretty long day, and not a whole lot in between. So, but that's kind of the easy stuff to fix. It's things like you know in terms of getting an event like this off the ground, that's absolutely basic stuff to correct for a second time round. And it's the same with the format. You know, there's definitely a question mark over whether a 300k race around Sydney Motorsport Park is the best idea. Um, but again, you can fix that. It's a case of if that's what it took to get the event off the ground, fine. And if that makes a case to go, okay, we can make this better by maybe going going to something that more mirrors a traditional super sprint format or something like that, that's fine as well. You need to get things off the ground and then you can tweak them and make them better. Um, and that's, uh, I'm guessing that's what we would see Next time around, that the schedule would look a bit different, and they would try and tighten it up and make sure that the um, it's not too much of, of a drag on on the teams and everyone else. And uh, and then you know if there is some potential to save money by doing it on a day, or by at least shortening uh, the, the amount of time that, that people have to be there, or staying in hotels, or travelling, or whatever, um, then then that can be factored into it. Mm. Seven. Yeah, there was obviously a lot of talk about the fact that it was a single 300k race and the fact that it was it was 300 points as well. Um, in a way, I'd sort of if this is the night race each year, I would almost like to see it become like the uh, NASCAR All Star race, where they sort of throw around a different format 
occasionally and sort of use it as a bit of a, a trial run just uh, for the sake of doing something different. But um, if anything, the, the thing that I may have liked seeing tightened up was the fact that, like, again, I think that the knockout qualifying worked perfectly. That's been a really good addition this year, but I would have liked to have seen it a bit closer to the race. I know teams need time to uh, turn things around from quality to race, but having the uh, two Kura Cup races in between Supercars quality and then the start of the, the sort of pre-race festivities there on sort of seemed to slow the slow the show down a little bit. Mm. But, um, yeah, as Andrew said, I'm sure all of these things uh, will be looked at in great detail. Yep, I'm a big fan for quali, two heat races to, you know, so odds in one heat race, evens in the other from qualifying, and then have a feature race at the end, which obviously wouldn't be 300Ks, it might be 200Ks with 100Ks of heat races. Um, and I couldn't care less about the points. That's more a team's problem than mine. But I just thought that might be a bit more balanced on uh, how I, you I think, I think if you if you were, if you were going to go to Stefan's idea of trialling different formats, you probably do need to do something about the points. I don't buy into the idea that 300 points was too many to have on offer for one race because that's just how our championship works. And, and it's, you know, it's fine. There's 150 points on offer for a 120K race at Simmons Plains, so why not 300 for a 300K race? At Sydney, but if you're going to start really throwing wacky and wild formats into it, you probably do need to think about what you're doing in terms of points and maybe make it a non-points round, which is, if you're still drawing a crowd because it is something different, then that's 100% fine. I think two heat races and a feature race would probably be a bit much, but I don't see why that, like, just, a, just running the traditional super sprint format on one day, qualifying, 120k race, uh, 200k race wouldn't work. I think shorter than 120 with no pit stop, we proved a couple of years ago that that kind of doesn't work as a concept. But the super sprint format, it's awesome. It's like, it's genuinely good. It produces good racing. It's a good thing. Mm. All right. Now, should supercars focus on increasing crowds after we see what the buzz and feel is like at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park last weekend? Or do should they go for more diverse events? Or does one feed the other, Stefan? Yeah, I think they're, they're always keen on, on more crowds and keen on more TV as well. So for sure, one uh, one feeds the other. And I guess we're all we're all talking positively about this, this super night because it was a good spectacle and because it was something different. Like for, for the likes of us uh, in the media who go to every race, um, it does take a bit for us to be genuinely enthusiastic about what we're seeing and, and what's going on rather than just churning it out because it's, what we do every second week so that's kind of why i think too like it's, it's good to mix up formats and we can be a bit too precious about this many points per kilometer and all that stuff like yeah different formats points like wrc bloody runs gravel and then snow and then tarmac and yeah they don't try putting different points on different things it's just uh this many per rally and let's go mm. so um yeah i think different things get get attention so mm. let's a few things out now do we still need compulsory pit stops Stefan uh, and I, I don't just mean like for a 300k race but I mean for any race uh, the the has the time of having CPS is now uh, moved on well I mean for most races those Sunday races you see the super sprints it's not so much you have to do X amount of pit stops but it's governed by the, the fuel drop which um, you can only drop that much fuel in at least two stops. Um, but like we were saying with, like Andrew was talking highly of the super sprint format there before, like that format does give us 
a mix of sprint racing on one day and uh, more strategy-based stuff on the next. So I think um, all of that's been designed with purpose. Obviously, the fuel drop was put in uh, when we saw some other other manufacturers come in with different engines that rather than everyone spend a few million bucks trying to get that last bit of fuel economy, they could uh, sort of level the playing field a bit better. And I don't see there being a huge reason to change some of that stuff. We don't need people melting down engines with funky fuel maps just to uh, try to outdo each other by a lap or two on, on economy stuff. So, yeah, I don't think that's really an area that's going to grow the sport, changing that, that stuff. Andrew? Uh, I 100% agree. I think that you need stops. You certainly, well, what does become boring to me, at least I find boring is economy racing, whether it's, whether it's trying to get the most out of tyres or fuel, it's just not that exciting. So I think forcing teams to do at least two stops, you're going to end up with more boring races if you take that element out of it. You're better off having it. And even the fuel drop, it may be slightly unnecessary now, but it probably evens things up when it comes to pit stops a little bit because um, if you go back to just rapid-fire pit stops where you've got to be in and out as quickly as you can, uh, you're going to sort of grow the difference between the haves and the have-nots because the big teams are going to spend the money and do the training and get the right people to bash out really fast pit stops. Other teams aren't. So it kind of just equalises things in that way. And I just don't... I can't see a downside to it in terms of the product, but you can see downsides to guys just all going out there and going, well, we're just going to do nothing for the first two stints of the race because we want to, we want the tyres to be in as good a condition as possible. And we see it in Formula 1 a lot. It's got a little better there. But, you know, 2014, that sort of year of Formula 1, it was just... It was terrible because the guys were just not pushing at all. And that's when motorsport takes a turn for the worse is when guys stop trying to go as fast as they can possibly go. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, you both mentioned about the, the Super Sprint mix. And I'm a big fan of the 200k race, but this year, uh, it's my opinion, Andrew, that the 120km race has actually been more exciting than the 200 yeah, totally. I think they both work. I think they're both good races. You sit down before every race and you know stuff can happen. It's a good product, Supercars. There's absolutely no there's no denying the fact that the racing is excellent. And we're seeing this year a couple of guys sort of running away with the championship, but it's still good. Look at the, you know, even in a race that we all expected to be pretty dull on Saturday night, it really came alive with the, with the safety car at the right time. Once you bunch them up and you set them up racing, they go hard uh, and they put on a pretty good show. And I think that we're seeing that, um, yeah, in those 120k sprint races, we're seeing good racing, but we're seeing good racing on a Sunday. It's going to be different. It always is. It's a different style of racing, but it's kind of equally intriguing. So you get your excitement and your intrigue, and it's just a it's just a format that works well. Yep. And Steph- the thing I don't like, the thing I don't like about the Sunday races is, and we saw it a few times last year, and then we saw a really high profile element of it, uh, or example of it, I should say, at Queensland Raceway of blokes letting other blokes through hmm. um, because they're on different different strategies. I think for, um, certainly for the, anything but the absolute hardcore fan, that's a pretty uh, weird thing and a difficult thing to digest. You don't see one team handballing the other the footy halfway through a match. And no, saying, if you oh, watch enough Carlton program. games, Stefan, you do see that. <laughs> Well, if uh, if a Carlton bloke hits a target, then uh, it's an achievement. <laughs> but uh, regardless of the shirt they're wearing, but uh, yeah, as as we're saying, it's it's the mix between sprint on Saturday and strategy on Sunday. But uh, 
that's that's the one element where uh, it, it's all a bit weird when they start doing that on the Sunday races. Mm. But I don't think that's a necessarily a format issue. That's just this weird mentality that's crept into the sport in that way. Like what you know, and you're talking about you know obviously Fabian and Shane and Queensland. What he wasn't doing, trying to hold up Shane for at least a couple of corners, trying to make some sort of difference. That's just I, I don't even understand that. You don't even have to be just a casual fan to not understand that. It's a really bizarre kind of mentality that. Do your own thing. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a really strange look, um, and but I don't think it's a format problem. It's just it's some sort of maybe attitude problem is the wrong way to look at it. But it's just a mentality there that, that's not necessarily in keeping with what we what we want to see. Definitely, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's a result of the format because of the way those races work with a fuel drop that you can be ahead of someone on the road but you know that you're going to be five seconds behind them once the second stops, shake out anyway or whatever, however many seconds. So it, it's kind of a result of the format, so I don't think you can fix it with with a tweak to the format. That's probably the key thing. But it didn't raise its head on the weekend because Pi was definitely on a different strategy and he, he played, uh, he played uh, mobile chicane there for a few laps with uh, whoever came up on the back of him and, and Courtney was a little bit in the same boat too. So... Uh, perhaps it depends on the mongrel in the driver. Yeah, it's obviously always going to be circumstantial and uh, the mongrel in the driver and, and probably the team, the engineer, uh, plays a role on it too. Mm. All right, now uh, in our next segment of the show, we're going to uh, have a chat about television with all the team owners. Just wanted to get your thoughts um, with the television package. Uh, I'm getting the feeling that uh, Channel 10, Andrew, could be doing a bit more to try and let the... Uh, the free-to-wear fans of supercars know that they've actually got the property and what they do with it every uh, every time supercars are on. Yes, it's always a sensitive topic, isn't it, sort of free-to-wear and pay TV, and it has been since that deal, since the current deal kicked off in, in 2015. But, um, yeah, obviously, you know, teams and fans would love it more to be on, on uh, free-to-wear TV. There's some realities of pay TV and the way that modern sports broadcasting is going. Supercars isn't the only... Certainly isn't the only sport that's gone down the pay TV model, and we're probably going to see more of it because it's kind of pay TV's uh, number one property. So they're they're aggressively out there trying to get it, um, and it's good for the sports in terms of uh, the revenue they can get off their rights as well. But yeah, look, I think any any increase in uh, in promotion from Channel Ten uh, would uh, would obviously do the sport good. And I think we saw there was definitely a lot of people asking about. You know why Saturday uh, night's race was live on ten because that would have been a uh, that would have been a massive draw card. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very complicated. We're in the middle, well, not in the middle of it. There's certainly uh, certainly rumblings of, of discussions over the next deal going on at the moment. So I guess that's why these sorts of issues are rearing their head, and we're, we're up for a uh, for an interesting few months as the next uh, the next step uh, and the next deal gets sorted. Mm. Now, uh, Stefan, you're in a difficult position because you are at supercars.com, so. I'll uh, let you have your say, which has got no relationship to your employer. Well, as much as anything, Craig, it's, it's funny with the TV because I go to every round. Like, obviously, I know uh, that it's every session's on Foxtel, but um, I haven't actually seen much 10 coverage, whether it be the highlights or, or the, the live shows. For me, I think um, it, it might struggle a bit with inconsistency of when the highlight shows are actually on. 10, uh, even if you know they're going to be sometime in that evening, I think they, they do tend to vary a little bit. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's one of those topics, like Andrew was saying, that um, the more 
free-to-air races the better, but it's a balance with uh, what Fox Sports wants to do. They Their current deal, I believe, says they, they have to sell on-sell at least six events to, to free-to-air, but um, they, they can do more than that. They can sell more to whoever the partner is at the time, which at the moment is 10. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for a, for a fan's point of view, the more the more the better, but at the moment at six, there was definitely a, a spike in complaints on social media about the fact that it wasn't on free-to-wear on the weekend compared to what we normally see, which obviously there was a lot of negative comments and a lot of negativity, but if you actually step back, you go, well, why is that? It's because everybody wanted to see that race. Mm. So <laughs> I guess that's a good problem to have in a way. Mm. Um, and in terms of all the other peripheral stuff, I mean, yeah, it, it was great to see Scott McLaughlin on the project on, uh, I believe it was Friday night, Yep. Um, around the time that practice was on. Stuff like that is is great for the sport, and and we've got a we've got a great personality there in Scotty. There's quite a few of them in the field, but when we're transitioning uh, Craig Lowndes out of the category, it's great to see someone like that get that sort of prime time, big eyeball opportunity to uh, be themselves on TV. Mm. I didn't put it down as a topic, though, but uh, it is interesting to see the posturing for uh, who wants to try and get the uh, about-to-be-freed-up fans of uh, 1C Lounge. And perhaps that's a uh, discussion for another time. But uh, if, if one thing, and it's a different time, so it's, I'm not trying to say it's apples for apples, but when David Leckie and, and Sol Shine, uh, or Sheen uh, made the announcement that Seven was going to be the... Uh, taking the coverage, they went to pains to say that Sunrise is going to be a supercars program. We're going to have drivers on Dancing with the Stars. We're going to be doing this and that and the other thing with the property. That's something that uh, 10 hasn't really used to leverage, in my opinion, outside of RPM, which is um, preaching to the converted almost. Andrew? I think you're looking at different levels of investment in a product there. Mm. Um, I think Foxtel's done an amazing, or Fox Sports, sorry, done an amazing job with the coverage that they've that they've created over the last um, what is it, two and a, two and a half seasons? Um, I think, or well, three and a half seasons. They've done an incredible job with what they do because that's their baby and that's where they've put their their, their money. Um, and they want to they want to make the product as good as possible. And I guess uh, Channel Ten doesn't necessarily have that commitment. Um, it's something they've got. They can do with it sort of what they can and what they want, and that's and that's what they've been doing. Uh, when you look at those old school TV deals where there was tons of money going around, yeah, of course we're going to ramp this up everywhere um, because we've spent money on it. Somebody's made that decision, and it's got to be justified. It's got to look like as big a deal as it possibly can be. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the, the the key point that you made there was. A, definitely not comparing apples with apples because we're in a new media landscape when it comes to broadcasting sport. ATV wants live sport because it's the one thing that people can't necessarily get off Netflix or download uh, off a a pirating site for nothing. It's a a very important commodity for pay TV networks and we're just going to see more and more of it. And if you look at the model in in Europe, uh, it's very built around pay TV. Live sport just isn't on free TV. Uh, It's just not a thing that happens. Um, So... Yeah, it's just the, the way of the world. You've got to pay for stuff if you want to watch it. Yeah, and uh, I should disclose, I I queue every event and then watch the bits that I uh, might have missed out on when I uh, get back from the race or if I'm not at the race, I'll watch for the uh, bits when it when it's convenient. So I am a big fan of the, the Foxtel package and, and it have been. 
look, uh, guys, thanks very much for your time. I, uh, I believe we've caught you just before you head back out of the country there, Andrew. Yes, off to Germany with my wife and our 12-week-old baby for uh, for a few weeks to visit that side of the family and spend a bit of time where we uh, where we live for a few years. So um, I'll be uh, I'll be keeping an eye on everything going on in supercars land from afar for the next few weeks, but then... Um, Back for the Enduro. It's the big end of the year. Really looking forward to it. Mm. And, Stefan, of course, we're looking at uh, Tail and Bend and what that might hold in a, in another first. Yeah, unlike uh, Andrew, who's jetting off, I'm, I'm so committed to uh, to my job that I'm actually going to uh, fly into Adelaide <laughs> a week early just to be extra prepared, certainly not to uh, not to drink beers with family and friends at all. Yeah, or go yeah, to the, I'll be, be well-tested before time then. Yeah, go to the port game the week before or anything like that at all. No. <laughs> Guys, thanks very much for your time. After the break, we hear from all the team owners, well, all but the one in Croatia at least, on Inside Supercars about the TV deal. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. This week's final thought goes to the team owners who were asked about their preference if they They'd like to see every race on free-to-air TV, which would result in a lower dividend from TV revenue, or would they like to see the current mix being moved on into the future? I started by asking Preston Hire Racing's Charlie Swerkholt. I think it's really important that we're on some free-to-air. Um, Fox Sports do an amazing job. I really think that the telecast is amazing. So... Um, a mixture would be good. Free-to-air and taking a pay cut is, is not really an option. It takes a lot of money to go racing with these things and, uh, and this series. So uh, my preference would be to have a bit of a mixture and as many free-to-air and keep the money up the same. You know, I want both my cake and eat it too. So, um, but uh, all those key events that we, we race on and, and preferably a really good highlights package that everyone knows on a really good time on 10 if it's 10 and uh, continue on that way so everyone knows at five o'clock or six o'clock it is on channel 10 after and uh, and that that would be my preference here's aubrey and bjr's kim jones uh the current arrangement moving forward when you sit and analyze what free what free to air brings and what the current world brings free to air 98% of the people that watch it, which is ever decreasing, um, they don't have a disposable income. So are they customers or are they just viewers and numbers? On Fox, the guy goes out, commits to spending money to watch it. So he does have a disposable income. And if our partners are smart enough, they can turn him into their customer. And there's a win-win. Walkinshaw and Dreddy United's Ryan Walkinshaw gave us his thoughts. I think it's a balancing act. You know, at the end of the day, there's uh, there's two things we've got to be aware we've got to be aware of. One is uh, making sure that we get actually there's three things. One is making sure that whoever we partner with, they give us the best uh, reach of coverage we can possibly get and the best quality of coverage. And that's one thing that Fox does tremendously well with our current deal. I mean, there's there's so much content and there's so much uh, visibility and insider information you can get on how the sport operates, which uh, we've never had before, which is fantastic. Fantastic. 
uh, and the investment they've put into that has been uh, has been brilliant. Um, but then, you know, to get a wider reach of audience, there's a, there's, there's a free-to-air aspect which adds value as well, uh, particularly on the sponsorship side of, uh, of, of, of the team's equation. Um, and then at the end of the day, the, the, the sports rights uh, package um, and how that distribution money goes into the team is also critical because we've got all got budgets that we need to run. And, uh, you know, a lot of that budget comes from, um, you know, the TV rights. And, you know, motorsport doesn't get cheaper. It only gets more expensive whether we like it or not. So uh, going forward, that'll be, that'll be a critical aspect of it. But I think the fairest thing to say is that, you know, some form of simulcast, um, something similar to what we have now, maybe they could, we could do a few things a little bit better. Um, and you can always do things a little bit better, but I'd like to see uh, you know, a package that supports the teams like we're getting now, that has got the incredible quality that we've got now, um, but maybe you know, some sort of, uh, some sort of additional free-to-air content in there as well, uh, just to even it up a little bit more. At the end of the day, um, a significant amount of the value from this category comes from you know, this sort of five or six key events, um, all of which are on free-to-air anyway, uh, along with Fox. Um, and so I think it's just choosing one or two other potential other events that you know would have a little bit of additional value and, uh, and be worthwhile because you know we want to make sure that the fans who don't have pay TV don't feel like they're being neglected by the sport because um, that's not the case. But um, we also need to make sure that you know the people who are paying the most money for the rights, um, you know, they're maximising that value for their investment. Out of the driver's seat and into the fire in some ways for Todd Kelly. Well, that's a it's a tricky one. Um, it's always our priority to give. Um, the followers of the sport as much uh, content and um, visibility of our product as we possibly can you know it's, it's about those guys and to hear that um, you know they're missing out on some of it because they don't have uh, Foxtel is is um, frustrating but uh, at the same time you know the category needs to be sustainable the pit lane needs to be sustainable to to give them that product so that's not an easy solution um, I think what we've got now is is probably the best balance at the time and um and you know once you get in into the routine of what it is um you know people learn to adjust and from my point of view you know the the whole chat about it's kind of died down as it's gone on as well here's erebus motorsports betty clemenko i don't see why we couldn't do both but have unfortunately like it used to be where you have your ads paying for the free to wear and on um on pay tv there are no ads so it's what you're prepared to pay for. I think it could be a win-win situation if they do the right way. I don't know if all the little ones should be on free-to-air. Maybe regional television, but uh, I'd like to see a mix. We had a chance to speak to Barry Rogers from GRM. Look, it is finding that balance. And uh, look, if we go back, the what was it, two and a half years ago, um, the, the income stream that was um, available to the teams via the Fox deal was very, very important for the survival of the sport at the time. But, you know, a bit of short-term gain can often cause a bit of long-term pain. And, uh, um, you know, you, you, with 30% of households having Fox, I mean, that means 70% of the people do miss out for it. And you have got to be careful to lose losing your fan base and all those sort of things. I mean, look, in a perfect world, hey, you'd love to have the income stream from the TV, from free-to-air, that you could just stay on there and, and, and go as you go. But... Look, the, the world's changed, and Australia's probably been a bit slower than other countries to move with pay TV. You go to the States, and you know it's sort of a 90% take-up rate of pay television, and it's nearly three times the cost of ours. So, look, um, to answer your question, I mean, look, as a, if, you, if you said if there was a preference, it would be on free-to-air TV for sure, no doubt about that. But uh, the income is important. Yeah. From Techno Motorsport, here's Jonathan Webb. Yeah, I think for me, what we're doing, what we're doing is the right way. 
there's definitely a few areas that probably need tidying up from both sides, whether it be Fox or, or Channel 10. But you know, supercars are already, you know, we're already on it. We know what we need to do. We know what we need to tidy up. And I think with the plan, it's going to take a little bit of time. But when it's done right, I think free-to-air and Fox is, is going to work really well. The new boy on the block is Matt Stone from Matt Stone Racing, of course the big mate racing team, and here's his thoughts. It's a very hard question there because in, in, in this game, uh, as you can see with all the infrastructure and everything that goes on, uh, every dollar does go to, to good use, so the cut in funding would be very uh, very hard hit for most of the teams, ourselves included. Um, and the flip side is, would the free-to-air TV option generate more sponsorship income to offset what we would lose? Um, unfortunately, as you said, new to the game, I probably don't know enough about the behind-the-scenes uh, with supercars to know those numbers, to really put my definitive opinion one way. Uh, thankfully, I've got a couple of years before uh, before the vote comes to get myself up to speed. Um, but, yeah, so I can see both sides of the... Uh, of the argument and I don't currently have all the information to know which side I would prefer. Triple Eight Race Engineering's Roland Dane. I'd, I'd like to see um, all the races simulcast. I think there's a, um, a really, really important market with Foxtel for the um, the ad-free, the, um, the real in-detail coverage before and after, etc. as a package for um, the committed sports enthusiast. Um, but I'd also like to see us um, having the, the product simulcast on um, on a free-to-air basis so that uh, we've got as broad a, a, a platform. From DJR Team Penske, it's Ryan's story. I think you have to keep in mind where we've come from to get to the deal that we have today. And the previous media rights deal effectively saw us as being the only premier motorsport category in the world that didn't get paid to go racing. And at the time, we were Dick Johnson Racing, and we struggled. We had two years of, of tremendous difficulties in, in keeping the lights on because you need a quantum of support to go racing in addition to having commercial partnerships to, to reach the uh, the balance that you need to have the right people in the right positions. And basically, we're a business that's all about people. So for us and for me personally, I think that my... My dreams for the sport are, are no different to the, to the businesses. We want to ensure that we find the right balance between having uh, full market saturation in addition to ensuring that the business model stacks up and, and that, needs to, that needs to be at the absolute, uh, at the ad, absolute edge of, uh, of any decision made of that type. Interesting, Rod Nash from Tickford Racing wouldn't go on the record. His official comment was that Tickford Racing has no comment. You will notice 23 Red Racing's owner, Phil Monday, was not included in that list. He is currently coming home from Croatia, so wasn't at Sydney to ask the question of. The second question I asked of all the team owners was, what do their principal partners prefer, for all on free-to-air or the current mix? Charlie Swerkholt kicks us off. Oh, look, the more exposure, the better, of course. You know, if we're, um, we're, if we're on double the time and, and so much more, of course they're going to be happy. Um, I think they're fairly uh, happy with, with um, the current arrangement. You know, I think there was a race not so long ago, the very, very similar numbers on Fox Sports and 10. Um, it was neck and neck. So, you know, I think it works both ways. So, um, yeah, obviously the more exposure, the better. But anyway, we'll work through that. But uh, it's so important to keep the money coming in the door as well. 
you lived through that two years of uh, a, a yes. tough TV deal. Yeah, no, incredible deal there. It was absolutely dreadful. We were led by the wrong people there, for sure. Um, we've got great management now, so I'm sure we're in good shape for some good negotiation when it all comes up. But, yes, I do remember those days of getting uh, very, very little money and it struggled through so bad. And uh, so we've got the right people to get us the, the, the best deal possible, I'm sure. Here's Kim Jones. When we've sat down and gone through the scenario of are they consumers of products on pay tv and do they have the ability to be consumers of products it makes sense and not one person has said i wish we were on free to air the other the other bonus as a as a motorsport fan is that on free to air and i'm getting old and don't go to all the races anymore so i sit at home and watch uh whenever there's action on free to air it's usually covered by an ad so you don't actually get to see it until there's a replay on Fox, it's live. You don't get ads, and that's a bonus. Uh, we had a customer or, or a fan, when it first happened, lurch at us at Sandown, and we said, what's the worst thing about free-to-air? The ads. Came back 12 months later and said, telling me to go and pay for Fox was the best advice you could ever give me because now I see everything. And that's true. In another sense, you like a lot of other things than just the uh, supercars. Anything you're seeing all that. Yeah. <laughs> you're seeing all that as well, which yeah. you probably see when you stay at home. You potentially could see more racing than you would when you're at the racetrack. Oh, definitely. You know, the, you see, you see things, and and when you have a so-called train eye, or you can see things happening that maybe the commentators don't pick up, or things are happening in the background. Um, you actually get the ability to watch it and see all that transpiring and then you scratch your head or you send a text and say, hey, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? But 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 it is it is very good coverage and it's well worthwhile, the package. And the packages are getting cheaper and cheaper. Um, watching it on the digital media programs and stuff like that, that's like the next step. But I'm too old to learn that. I'm, I'm just getting this mental picture of... Uh, you sitting in the lounge chair yelling at the screen, yelling at Scafie and, uh, and Crompton for uh, something they've just said which uh, nah. they missed. You know no, I'm, 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 I've mellowed. When I was younger I would yell, uh, but I sort of mellowed a bit. Some would say not, but some would say I have. Ryan Walkinshaw again. Yeah, most, the, most, uh, the most eyeballs and engagement that they can possibly get is what drives value for them. So, uh, you know, obviously there's B2B aspects and stuff like that. You, you, you incorporate into your deals, and we work very, very hard on doing, on doing that with our partners. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're, uh, we're a circus that's got billboards on the sides of our cars, and uh, an important aspect of the value of what uh, our, partners, uh, our partners want is, uh, is, is broader reach um, and as much engagement with as many people as possible. And the world has changed from even five or six years ago on how to engage. Yeah, absolutely. And the internet will keep doing that. You know, at the end of the day, sponsorship originally was a great platform uh, to reach a wide audience of people. Uh, before the internet was something which man- which you were, which which you had as a as a tool to uh, to market on. You know, now it's 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 very cheap to hit a very large audience with internet advertising. And uh, what's very valuable for that as well is how you can actually quantify and an- and do the analytics on that information and uh, tailor your marketing strategies around that and also validate the uh, the theory behind the investment 
um, once you've uh, before and during and once you've actually finished the program. So uh, that's where we've had to become smarter as sporting uh, sporting teams to make sure the assets that we have are still relevant. We still drive value, drive engagement with fans, and um, we've got to constantly be innovative. And I think we've done a good job at that. We can always do better. Is there more you'd like to do at the track than you are allowed to do now? Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, we're always looking for, for more innovative ways that we could uh, that we could work with our partners uh, on and off track. Um, we are limited to stop ourselves from uh, shooting ourselves in the foot because, you know, what you don't want is to open up all that additional space and, uh, and opportunity and then there's only one or two sponsors that can afford to do it and then all the other sponsors of other teams get frustrated because, you know, they don't have, you know, the big, uh, the big party areas or the big uh, engagements, engagement zones and fan zones that, you know, the Red Bulls, for example, I'm sure would, uh, would dip into their pockets and be able to afford. So there's a balancing act between allowing all the sponsors to have a fair go at utilising the assets and supercars to their maximum potential um, without putting themselves in a position whereby uh, you actually end up frustrating um, the vast majority of sponsors by opening up what, those limitations um, and allowing some sponsors to go too far. Todd Kelly. That's another interesting one. Um, they'd like to be in front of as many eyes as possible, um, but the challenging part is if, if, it, if it meant less money to the teams, but the, all of our partners on the cars got more coverage, it'd be pretty hard to wring any more money out of them. I don't, I don't reckon any of them be forthcoming to hand over a few more bucks because of that. So, yeah, we're back in that um, same situation of being a little bit snookered. Betty Clemenko. I don't think they have a preference. As long as their product is being shown, I think as, the more we can show it, the better that is. And um, I think they would... The mix that suited more promotion of their product would be the best thing for them. Barry Rogers. Look, no doubt, your principal sponsors want to see eyes watching the television. Now, the fact is, if it's on free-to-air TV and 26 million people can watch it, well, a lot more people will watch it and the sponsors will get more coverage. So if they had a choice, it would definitely be on free-to-air. But whether, this is where they sort of, the numbers come into it, whether they would make up the shortfall of the money that you're going to lose by not getting income from the pay television, that's a sort of, let's call it the million-dollar question because that's probably about the question it would be. So, um... Look, look. In a perfect world, if you'd say your sponsors would cough up a bit, bit more and say, "Righto, they'd pay the money, can go to free to air, and we'd all move on." But uh, who knows what's going to happen next time? I mean, you look at the um, the cricket rights. I mean, I see you know they've gone to pay TV, but I know Channel Seven have got a big part of it. And it's, there seems to be these combinations of the two now. You know, the, probably the deal that Channel Ten and and the pay TV worked out together probably probably didn't give ten quite enough. So maybe in the next lot of rights, there probably needs to be some pay TV involved. But I think what's available to the free-to-air needs to be obviously increased. So we'll see what happens. Jonathan Webb. I think it really depends on you know, what sort of industry they're in, what they're pushing, what they're looking for. And, and again, if we're doing free-to-air right and we're doing Fox still right, then they get the boast of both worlds. Matt Stone. Look, it's a very tough uh, tough call to make as well. Um, Foxtel obviously has incredible uh, coverage. Uh, we get massive amount of time on TV, uh, we get great exposure everyone up down the pit lane, not just the guys winning, um, so there is definitely that extra air time adds great value to the sponsors um, going on free to air you, you know, you've got the potential of a bigger audience, but less then less time in front of them, so it really becomes a case of if you go to free to air, is it only going to be the leaders that see, or is it going to be everyone like it is on Foxtel, and um, Again, uh, without all the numbers in front of us, it's very hard to definitively pick one over the other. Ryan Story. Well, at the end of the day, our partners measure their relationship with our team on, on multiple fronts. 
exposure is obviously a key part of that and, and, and that's really what you're looking for with, with, with TV and mainstream media is you want to have maximum reach, maximum audience and you want to ensure that you're reaching as many people as you possibly can. But that's not the only measure that our business partners have in terms of measuring the success of relationships with our team. It's also business-to-business networking opportunities that come with that in addition to the amount of business that a lot of our partners actually do with Penske Transportation Group International. The quantum of that support really forms as the backbone of almost all of our commercial partnerships. What's the difference between reach and ratings? Well, it's interesting because you see Tim Warner uh, came out came out this week and said that they'd like to. He's the CEO of, of Seven West Media. Came out and said they want to get rid of over, overnight ratings and instead give an overnight percentage of audience, and then come up with the ratings uh, in, in 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 a week or so's time, which takes into takes into account replays and and DVR DVR and online views and things like that. So. I think it, it, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, you want to rating ratings are important, but they're only relative. Uh, audience and reach, and effectively penetrating mainstream media is something that is at the forefront of every media manager's uh, job description, up and down pit lane. Is the mix in our current deal right? The mix between free to air, pay, and digital. I think. The ultimate balance is good, but we can certainly make it better and continue to make improvements. I think that from I think the massive change that we saw heading into this pay free to wear mix that we have now um, was effectively a paradigm shift for the category. Uh, it moved us into a space where we could have a, effectively a remunerative package that worked not only for supercars, the business, but also the teams. But it also meant that the viewer got a better product. If you're prepared to pay for Foxtel, you get a better product than what you get on free-to-air TV. So I think we need to find the balance to ensure that we continue to be accessible whilst at the same time catering for hardcore fans as well as as well as well the casual, the, the more, I suppose, engaged casual fan to ensure that they get a product that's easily digestible and, uh, and, and, and offers a lot more value for money. Have you got enough flexibility in the current structure to be able to do everything that you'd like to do to to get out to your fans and to get out and widen your base? Well, I think when you look at the improvements that you've seen since the broadcast deal came into effect a few years ago, the quality of the product continues to improve. The on-screen graphics and, and the way in which everything is packaged together is, is almost second to none in, in, in the motorsport world. I mean, we're fortunate enough to have involvement, obviously, in, in the United States with IMSA, uh, with IndyCar and with NASCAR, and one of the first things Roger Penske did when uh, when he got involved in supercars is that he asked for a couple of uh, couple of discs with some of our broadcasts on them to go and show the IndyCar guys and the NASCAR guys just how good it can be done. So I think that we need to respect how good the product is now, and also acknowledge that all concern from the CEO down of of, of the series and Nathan Prendergast and everyone involved, they're constantly looking to innovate and make the product better. And tonight's a great example. Um, I think some of the interviews that, that Nathan has done talking about trying to get the 
the mix right and make the cars look fast and really ensure that, that, that we, we're hitting the safety safety criteria with the guys out on track but also ensuring we've got a really good product on display are fantastic. And that's what we need to continue to see. We have to continue to see that innovation and, and, and we can't rest on our laurels. Because at the end of the day, this is a fan business and when you become stale and boring, the fan loses interest and there's plenty of other things for them to do. So we have to respect respect the fans that we have constantly be on the lookout to, to, to the fan of the future and ensure that we continue to make the product better. Thanks very much for joining us once again on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.